starting a series, and we decided to call this kind of Christmas series Investigating Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different ways that we could do a series titled this, but again, we are coming at this specifically through the lens of Christmas. What does it look like to investigate sort of the claims and the story and the narrative uh, of, of Jesus through the lens of what's happening uh, around Christmas time. Christmas is a, is a big tradition, again, in many, many different countries around the world. Uh, they celebrate it. There's some similar things. There's some different things they do. Um, but for Christians, uh, you know, we like to spiritualize all of it. Okay, that's, that's true. And if you mess with Christmas, Christians lose their mind. Okay, I just want you to hear that. Uh, and that's just, that's just typical, okay? That's just typical for us. I think last year, a couple years ago, like Chick-fil-A, like put the word holiday on something, and they, people's just brains exploded, okay? God's chicken for, you know, like getting rid of Christ, you know? So it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, 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 okay. And, and, and again, I don't know if you have people in your life like this, but there are skeptics of the Christmas story. There are people who will hear the narrative about 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 Jesus and about his birth, and it feels more fairy tale than it does sort of history or, or, or a basis of, of our faith and who we understand. Um, and so I just want you to kind of hear this from me. Uh, you know, there are a lot of truths to some of the skeptics struggling with uh, Christmas as Christians like to spiritualize all of it. Okay, But the reality is, is that there's a lot of things that don't, don't have anything to do with the nativity story. Okay? I mean, you want a tree in your house? Great. Have a tree. It's a tree. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it is. All right? And so here, just to give you a quick history. So Christmas uh, was actually labeled Christmas because it was called Christ Mass, uh, and it was shortened, and it was actually about 1,038 was the year uh, that that happened, right? But there's always, for centuries, been kind of this time of year has always been a celebration of midwinter, uh, winter solstice, uh, Yule, you know, kind of like Yule log, Yule tide, um, the nativity season. There's lots of different phrases for a lot of things that have happened in this time frame. And so what happened? Well, the church came along and said, wow, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Jesus' birthday, and they named, put one of the popes, named December 25th, Jesus, we're going to celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th, okay? i just let you know, December 25th isn't in the Bible anywhere, okay? Everybody with me? So that's not, if somebody goes, that's not even Jesus' birthday, you go, yeah, I know. It's okay. Like, calm down, right? So it's not, it's not in the Bible, but that's okay. It's still Christmas. It's what, the, you know, the church did. And honestly, the church did do it to kind of take all the, the celebrations and kind of lump it into what they wanted people to celebrate, which was the birth of Christ. They wanted to take this and make it more about Jesus, which wasn't a bad thing to do. But I just want you to understand, and this is hard for the people who really want to be right in conversations, is that pretty much everybody's right. Okay. Is it about Jesus? Yes. Is, are there pagan things in Christmas traditions? Of course there are. Okay. There has been for centuries. All right? That's just the reality. But here's the deal. The tradition matters a lot less than the reason why you celebrate. Okay? The, the, the tradition matters a lot less than the reason, as you say, you hear it said, the reason for the season that you're celebrating. All right? Which is why we kind of reintroduced the, the Advent candle, the Advent tradition here uh, as a church, okay? Because we don't do many things uh, uh, 
we're not, we don't do a lot of things as a church just for tradition's sake. Um, so sometimes we'll do the candle here and out front, and sometimes we'll have a candle and we won't have candles, and sometimes we'll have people read and not do it. It'll just You can never tell what we're going to do because we like to be intentional uh, about it. But because we believe Christmas really is about hope, and, and, and as we're going to talk about today, hope really does come all around this theme of Advent, which again, you won't find that in the scriptures. You won't find the word Advent in the Bible, okay? But the Advent really does mean the same thing as hope in terms of the waiting and the coming and the anticipation. And, and as it's talked about in our tradition, it, it's about not only Jesus' birth, but about his coming again. Okay, so there is, there's actually an Advent uh, there's two Advents, if you will, um, that we're celebrating. Now, again, it's not found in Scripture. When it comes to the Advent candle and the wreaths and all that kind of thing, it goes back about 380 uh, A.D. Um, so it, what's neat about it is it is an extremely old you know, Christian tradition, which is why I like it. It's an extremely old part of our heritage as Christians, right? There's lots of different ways that you can do it, uh, but it's primarily the four weeks and, you know, the themes that we talk about. And, the, of course, this week is hope. That's why I wanted to kind of bring it back into the, to the, to the light uh, for us. So what, are they, what was the hope all about? Well, when you read the scriptures, and I, we sent an email out this week to you guys. Hopefully you got it. You can have your own personal reading time. That's great. Um, but when you look at the scriptures, it's all about the hope in the coming of Jesus. And so a lot of, we'll look back at a lot of Old Testament scriptures. Uh, this one is from Isaiah. This is one of the readings you, you could see in the week uh, of hope this week. Uh, this is Isaiah 7. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. All right. So what was done in, these, in kind of these Old Testament scriptures is through the prophets of the time, um, they would oftentimes be dealing with and speaking for God to the people they were talking to, but prophets also tended to forecast, okay, or what they would say is have a prophecy about things that are coming, about things that are in the future that haven't happened yet. And so that's what this verse is. This verse is Isaiah the prophet, who very much at a real time in history was helping God's people work through a lot of things. He had these prophecies about something that hadn't happened yet, which is where we get Isaiah. And then you get to the New Testament and you see Matthew, whose primary audience, the gospel of Matthew, the primary audience is the Jewish people. And he, so many times throughout the book of Matthew, if you read it, he says, hey, this is being done to fulfill the prophecy and to fulfill what was said about Jesus. And so here's a great example where, again, Matthew is sharing with us Jesus' story of his birth, and he says all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. He's talking about Mary and getting pregnant and so forth and so on, and he says all of this occurred, and then he goes and quotes Isaiah 7. Like, he goes and quotes the Old Testament. He says, uh, look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So that's when we talk about prophecies, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about these, these statements, these declarations, these future kind of forecastings, and, 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 and that was a very normal thing. If people today started talking about what was going to happen in the future, what would we call them? Crazy. That's what we call them, right? Crazy. We call them crazy, right? Okay, so that's, that's our, kind of the norm for us in our day. But again, think about this. This was very normal for them, especially the Jewish people, that prophet after prophet after prophet 
would not only help them in their current day, but they would always cast something, right? God is going to. There's something in the future. And so this was very normal for the people of God. All right, now I want to go back just to the claims, especially around Christmas. Um, so even as early as seven to 800 years before Christ, and if you want to get really technical, you can go all the way back to Genesis, okay, in terms of the prophecy about Jesus. But specific details around his birth and about the nativity, you can go back about seven, 800 years and get some specific details about his birth in terms of prophecy. And they say that when Jesus came, uh, and I say they, meaning smarter people than me, okay, you know, Bible scholars, um, between 200 conservatively and 400 on the, on the way high side, and so I usually say around 300 or more, um, they say there's 300 or more uh, uh, prophecies fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, his, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. 300 plus prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. And so when I look at this candle and I'm thinking about the theme for this week, and I start thinking through Christmas, okay? This is a season of Advent, expectation, hope, right? That's what Christmas means to us around here, is hope. I, I came up, the question in my mind just started coming back to, what kind of hope are we talking about? Because it's okay to hope for things, which is kind of wishful thinking. Well, I hope, especially in this season, I hope I get what I want. I hope I, you know, see my family this year. I hope I get a raise. I hope, you know, there's a lot of cool things that we can hope for in this season, right? I hope so-and-so can come over. I hope so-and-so feels better and, you know, good enough to, to celebrate. Like, we, there are a lot of things we can hope for. But the question is, what kind of hope did Jesus bring? And what kind of hope did these prophecies kind of forecast for God's people. Now, again, we're talking about hope and joy in, in, in this positive side of, of, the, of the holiday. But, you know, just I know that you know this, but, you know, not everybody loves Christmas, right? Not everybody does. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this or not, but not everybody loves Christmas music. Did you guys know that? Which is weird, I know. We were just having this conversation with our staff this week in the office. And they, you know, we were, sometimes when everybody's in the office, it's like chaos in there because it's kind of a small house and it's just so much fun. And we were yelling that back and falling down the hall and playing records, you know, in the, in, the, uh, in the office, playing Christmas music, you know. And we find out that someone on our staff doesn't like Bing Crosby. Like the king of Christmas, right? Doesn't like Bing Crosby. And so we're just like, how can this be? So we're, you know, of course, and I know sometimes there's, you know, you don't have, you can play the game, what's your favorite Christmas song? What's the worst or the least favorite Christmas song? We all have those, right? But the reality is this. For many, sometimes this season comes and it's not hope. It's a reminder of how hopeless they feel. The season comes around one more time. You know, it's like, here comes Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year. And, and it's actually a time of depression, not a time of joy. It, it's a time where it's hard to celebrate. And honestly, let's be real, it's harder when everybody else is up, right? When everybody else is celebrating and joyful and happy and hopeful, it actually makes it worse because you start feeling so much more alone and isolated in that. And, and I want you to hear, if that's your story, if that's where you are right now, that's okay. We totally understand that. That can happen because of past circumstances. That can happen because of broken relationships. That can happen because of family. That can happen because of losses. And, and these are all real things that kind of cause people to struggle through um, the holidays. 
But there is still hope, even in the midst of that, especially when you start thinking about what kind of hope we're talking about, that, that the Old Testament, in terms of uses those words hope, to talk about the coming of Jesus. So let's read together. This is going to be our first read-along uh, passage today in Isaiah 9. Again, a lot of, a lot of the prophecy is going to come from Isaiah. Isaiah, was, 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 uh, in context, was leading um, a divided nation. He was a part of the divided kingdom of God. And so in their recent history, the people of God had gone from great power and, 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 and prosperity and blessing, um, but they had also experienced judgment. And they'd also experienced a great deal of dysfunction because they weren't really following uh, God the way God wanted them uh, to follow him. And so um, Isaiah's kind of in the middle of that time where he, you know, he kind of, everybody kind of remembers the good old days, but he's in a time of tension uh, with, with uh, you know, not just religious leaders, but rulers and, and leaders that are, that are outside of um, the Jewish faith as well. And so you know, they're, they're, they're really looking for hope. Matter of fact, the beginning of verse 9, uh, verse 1 says, nevertheless, nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. This is just a, a current day statement that Isaiah is saying to the people of his time. But if you go to verse 2, this is where the prophecy begins, that he begins to share with those people about something that's coming, that God promises. Verse 2 says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Gideon. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned, and they will be fuel for fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Mighty Counselor, or Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government... And its peace will never end. This is, again, I'm going to stop there. But when it comes to prophecy, Isaiah, written about between six and 700 years before Christ, okay, depending on how you look at that calendar, um, it's, it's so detailed in several of the passages you'll read that many skeptics, many people kind of investigating Christianity struggle because there's a large you know, group of people that really just believe, well, look, it's too specific. It had to have been written after Jesus was alive. It had to have been, right? Now, something really cool happened, and I wanted to just give this to you. This is free. You didn't pay for this this morning. I'm going to give it to you, all right? Uh, something really cool happened in 1947. I wasn't there, but the Dead Sea Scrolls were recovered, Okay? And the Dead Sea Scrolls were recovered, and the reason that it was such a huge deal is because the cave and everything they found it in, the, where they actually found these, they found an entire scroll of all 66 books of Isaiah. Right? And because of how it was preserved, 
they were able to do kind of their measuring and all that kind of thing of, of the parchment and all that kind of thing. And without all the external factors like weathering and other things that could have added to it, they were, they were literally given just this completely fresh thing to be able to, to, and they looked at it and they said, yeah, it's centuries upon centuries upon centuries before Christ written. Isn't that cool? Isaiah is one of those. It's also the same true with Daniel, just to, just to give you another one for free. Daniel is another great book with a lot of prophecy, but it's, the prophecy is hidden a little bit. Go ahead and show me that slide. The prophecy is hidden a little bit in Daniel for, um, for they're through dreams and some of those things, the, the dreams and uh, interpretation of dreams, whether it's King's dreams or Daniel's dreams, a lot of those things are a little bit harder to see in Daniel, but Daniel is another one that people really, really struggle with in terms of its validity because of the detail. I mean, Daniel and some of his interpretation of dreams gives you a, almost a time frame of what to expect when the Savior was going to be born, if you, if you understood how to interpret it. And what's interesting to me, the thing I love about Daniel is Daniel was sort of the, the beginning, if you will, because of his time in Babylon and exile, in Babylon and in Persia, Daniel was sort of the head of what they would call originally kind of this biblical astronomy, uh, a bib- biblical as- idea of astronomy with many of the, because he, he was the chief advisors, with many of the, the wise men and advisors of the age. So what happened is a lot of the magicians and fortune tellers, they believed in astrology, Okay, which is very similar to today. You know, is everything in phase and how do I feel and what's the stars saying about my you know, future? Does that make sense? Like that's astrology, trying to get meaning from these things. But Daniel believed that there was incredible power in understanding God's creation in terms of the heavens and the stars to map them out, to understand it, to understand how we worked in concert with it. So there was a lot of that that, that Daniel got to influence. And, and believe it or not, one of the groups that was a part of that were called the Magi. In Daniel. And I don't know if you know who the Magi are, but the Magi are referenced again in the, in the story in the, of the Nativity, in, in Jesus' story. Why? Because of Daniel. Daniel would have given them the Old Testament. He would have given them the first five books of the Bible. He would have given them the, the, the Pentateuch. He would have said, these are the core foundational law and prophets of, of, of our people and help them determine and see things. He would have given them a verse like this in Numbers. He would have given them a verse that said, that they would have seen and said, well, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future, there's a star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. And, and, and other verses and other prophecies that he would have had the opportunity to give the Magi and say, you need to pay attention to these things. So if you watch any of these the old stories, matter of fact, there's a great movie out now called The, the Journey to Bethlehem. Um, and it's fun. It's a musical. If you don't like musicals, I understand. You might have to just hold on for it. But it's, it's a fun family movie. And it's a great telling of the, of the nativity story. And, 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 and it's just like many of the other stories, it starts with the Magi. Why does it start with the Magi? Because they were already looking. They were watching the stars and looking for signs of something they'd already kind of seen that was going to happen. And that shows, I mean, they, they had a m- multiple months journey, 400 to possibly 700 miles, to make the journey to get to Bethlehem to see Jesus, and you, you see this in Matthew. This is when, again, Matthew records where the Magi show up. This says, uh, 
let's see, this is Matthew 2 or Matthew 1? Yeah, Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, about the time some wise men, right, from the east lands arrived in Jerusalem, right? And they are asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? They even knew what it meant. Where, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose in the sky, and we have come to worship him. I mean, such detail given again, 100, 500 years in Daniel, 500 years before Jesus came. And again, this goes back to the kind of hope that these Old Testament prophets would talk about and why it was so desperately needed for God's people. So here's a couple of the ways that it's, that it's pronounced and, and um, used in Scripture. So the Old Testament, there's about 200 times in which these words are used. This is the Hebrew, uh, uh, yakal and kavah, okay? That basically, you, they are the words that, that you see translated hope. And, and Hebrew is a very full of imagery language, so there's usually lots of meanings. And so um, yakal is used a lot of times in the, sol- in the Psalms, right? We're waiting on God. We're waiting on you to, to show up to do to do what you said you'd do. Um, K- Kava is, is talking about the tension and the and the picture they give of that word is rope. You know, rope like like uh, twine and rope. You know how you can like pull and get a little bit of tension out of it, right? But when you do, it's really tight. Like it's it, it's the tension that's in the rope is what this kava is talking about. It's it's this tension in the waiting. It's the tension in the season uh, that they're talking about this hope in. And here's some of the reasons they needed hope. Again, you'll see this kind of brought up in several parts of the Old Testament. Uh, This is from Micah 5.2. When they were talking about what was to come, you, Bethlehem, you're only a small village among the people of Judea, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Again, this prophecy. The people of Israel will will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in majesty. In the name of the Lord is God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world. Keep going. And he will be their source of peace. All right, he will be their source of peace. Of peace. Let's go to Zechariah, another uh, minor prophet. Tell him, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, there is a man called the branch, and he will branch out from where he is and build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he will build the temple of the Lord, then he will receive royal honor and will rule as king from his throne. He will also serve as priest from his throne, and there will be perfect harmony between the two roles. Why is that such a big deal? Well, because, again, from, exi- from the divided kingdom on and the exile on, there was always a conflict between their religious freedom and, 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 and power, what God wanted them to do, versus the ruling authority. You know, there's 400 years of silence, right, between Malachi, which is the last prophet, and the gospel of Matthew. There's 400 years where they didn't have any more prophets, so there was no new or fresh prophecy. 
They just had to go back and keep reading the scrolls. Keep reading the scrolls, looking for the hope, that kavah and that yakal. They had to keep reading and looking back to the hope that they were promised for 400 years. Through different, I mean, you know, you're talking about Persian, you know, uh, Babylonians and Persians and Medes and uh, Alexander the Great and eventually the Romans, right? This is on the scene when Jesus was born. The Romans are in rule and there's conflict and there's tension. And then Matthew, as he describes Jesus, again, so many times sharing how did Jesus represent and fulfill these Old Testament prophecies. Matthew, again, quotes from Isaiah 42 about Jesus and says this in, in Matthew 12. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love, the one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will not break and a smoldering wick will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will place there, what's the word? Hope. Now, before we, before we close out, I, I just want to help you see this. Now, this is a big, big theological concept that is primarily one of the reasons many people struggle with, with the story of the coming of Jesus and the life of Jesus and what Jesus claimed to have been able to bring and do compared to where people feel like they're living now. Okay, and just, just hear this out. There's a, there's a theological construct that, that is, is, um, is where the tension lives. Going back to hope and tension. This is how it's described in much of the New Testament in our time. It's an already but not yet tension. Okay? It's an already but not yet tension. Okay? This theologically is describing sort of the, the overlapping of, of two ages. All right? This is where we live sort of in the middle. I call it the messy middle, but that's, it's in the middle. Yet the hope we're talking about is still the same hope that Jesus fulfilled, right? So here's, here's the way this works, all right? Did Jesus fulfill the, those prophecies, right, that the people were looking for? Yes, but not in the way they thought he was going to do it, Right? Did Jesus bring through to victory, from judgment to victory, uh, you know, the kingdom where he was going to rule? Yes. But it's not the way they thought it was going to be. Do nations find peace in Christ and hope? Yes. But it's through the people whose hearts have been surrendered to Christ and he sits on their throne. Everybody with me? Like, he fulfilled... There, the, the prophecy, and yet there is still part of the prophecies that have not been fully realized. So here's, here's a quote I'll give you. This is uh, one that I, I had written down just as I talk about this concept to help, help clarify it. The great theological tension is because we already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ, and yet we have not experienced it fully yet. In one sense, we are already adopted, redeemed, sanctified, and saved. In another sense, these experiences are not fully known. 
Underneath this kind of hope is the coming of Christ. But it's the two comings of Christ, right? In the first coming of Christ, he inaugurated the last days. He began sort of the last days, and in his second coming, he will complete them. In the meantime, we live in the hope of the overlap of ages. That's what already not yet feels like. And, and listen, when people struggle with this, do not try to spiritualize it and try to get them past it. Tell them it's okay. Join the club, right? We're living in the same tension that everybody else is living in. Did Jesus do it? Isn't everything supposed to be better? Yes, he did do it. He did fully. The, the peace and the rule and reign of Christ is live in our hearts right now. But no, it is not fully realized yet. Does that make sense? Don't try to wash people off from that. It's okay when somebody's struggling through Christmas and through this season with hope that you want to talk to them about the hope of Christ. But it's not to try to absolve what they're feeling because the struggle is real. The, the tension is real, not just for them, but for us. So hopefully, when you see this word used even in the New Testament, right? it, just, it means the same thing, but it's speaking more to us now than just the Jewish people looking to Christ, their Messiah. It's speaking to the Gentiles now in the room, right, who are looking to the second coming of Christ. Why? When you look at the, uh, this is the Greek word, much of the New Testament is in uh, Greek. It's elpis, right? Elpis is is the Greek word for that same meaning of anticipation, tension. But watch how Paul talks about it uh, to, to the church in Rome, to the Christians in Rome. Again, these are the ones full, full under the Roman rule, right? What Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope right? The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. We too wait with an eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Already, but not yet. I love the way Peter describes this. I'm going to go to 1 Peter because I love his words. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a, read the two words out loud, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope. What a great, what a great packaging of two words. We love absolute hope because that's our mission as a church, but even Paul describing as a living hope, it, it encompasses all of it. All of it, right? Jesus is our living hope. And that allows us to celebrate hope both past, present, and future. So here's a great example, and I'll, I'll close this out with this. Uh, how many of you guys uh, either you either have like a birthday cake or something on Christmas morning? Uh, with your kids, and or you sing Happy Birthday, Jesus. Have you guys ever done that? It's a tradition for some people. Raise your hand if you've done like the cake, the full-on cake. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. 
Yeah, there's a few of you, right? How many of you guys have sung happy birthday? We've done it a couple times, right, like with our kids. It's fun. It's sung. You sing happy birthday, Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a fun part of traditions, right? Just something, something in the moment before the chaos of them chewing open their gifts, right? <laughs> sing happy birthday, Jesus, right? Like just something along those lines. But here's the thing about birthdays when you think about it, right? Birthdays tend to be the celebration of either, uh, uh, either where we are or where we've been, right? Like that tends to be more birthday. You know, you put the candles in the cake and outside of like kids, okay, kids don't count because kids are always like, oh man, I'm 10, I wish I was 11, you know? Oh man, I'm 17, I wish I was 18, you know? Uh, that stops, by the way, when you get into your 30s and 40s. When your 30s and 40s, you begin to, to get a real stark realization of your recurrent reality and you don't want that many candles burning at one time, Right? Now, when you get into the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, it really doesn't just have to do with your present time. It has to do with the past. Look at how far you've come. Listen, there's a lot of people I've, I've talked to with chronic illnesses and cancer. And, man, they're just sometimes that birthday cake comes and it's like, I made it another year. Thank God. Praise Jesus. Right? So it has a lot to do with the current reality and the past reality in terms of just how we, we do this with birthdays. All right. No, listen, nobody, nobody celebrates a birthday up to 50 or 60 and goes, oh, yeah, I'm almost dead. <laughs> right? Because all you're thinking about is the future. Right? But think about this. When we talk about this kind of hope in the celebration of Jesus' birth, it is all three. Right? We have 2,023 candles on our cake. Right? We do. I mean, depending on how you read the calendar, but that's what we do. That's, that's what we have on our cake. And we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. And we get to celebrate the hope of the past because he fulfilled every promise and every possibility and every, I mean, every uh, prophecy, he fulfilled them, right? And brought about not just for the Jewish people, but for us, freedom in Christ. We get to have hope in the now because he's given us the Holy Spirit, so we're not sitting around the 400 years of darkness just reading a bunch of scrolls, right? Just trusting that God's going to do it. We've had 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit actively living and working out this living hope in the people of God, and he has not come back yet because he wants us to continue to share that living hope with others. But don't discount the fact that the hope we celebrate right now is also for the future. Guys, because a day is coming when every knee will bow. The day is coming... When, when the, where the, the nations themselves, every nation, tribe and tongue, will find their peace and hope in Jesus. That's coming. We get all of it at Christmas. So that's my challenge today is just as we think about what kind of hope, that living hope is so powerful for us that when you share, you know, the reason for the season, the reason you celebrate, I, I, don't, I don't knock it. You know, we do trees and garland and lights and gifts like we just we do all the stuff like we love the christmas movies and we love it but we as a family want to make sure that when somebody talks just about christmas it isn't just about those things because we have a living hope that's represented in this advent we have a living hope that's celebrated by the birth of the king by the birth of king Jesus. And we have some incredible 
documents and history and so forth and so on that we can point back to when the skeptics kind of come to point back to and be like, guys, I'm sorry, this is an undeniable, this is an undeniable moment that represents the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry and why I place my faith and hope in him. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for your word, and not only just that it challenges us, but even as we can trust it, even as we can rely on it, um, God, there's so many sometimes, sometimes that Christmas comes under fire, and, and sometimes, God, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it to take people who might be investigating an understanding of, well, what kind of hope is this to go back and really remember the kind of hope that you, Jesus, brought to your people? And because of that elpis, for us, God, the, the, the hope that we were given with our salvation in you. And God, the hope that we believe one day we will all get to experience with you forever. And so God, I just pray that you'd move in us this season, that we would, we would not shy away from telling folks and encouraging people in our lives why the tension is real and yet the hope is even greater than people probably even know. And that's our hope that we've placed in you, the living hope in you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.